All right. Hey, good morning. Good to see you guys again. Two weeks in a row. So if you thought, hey, it's safe to go to church this week, that uh, high-pitched guy is not going to be there, you know, lightning never strikes twice, I am so sorry to let you down. Um, No, uh, great to be here two weeks in a row with you all, and I, I have to apologize. I was inaccurate about something last week. If you were here last week, I said the Cardinals would let us down, and they won. And so... I guess miracles do happen, and we can just hold fast to that truth of the gospel this morning. Uh, Hey, we're wrapping up our series on truth. We've done uh, three weeks on truth. We start off by talking about how truth has an edge to it, that it is a uh, tool of the believer, and that it's also an attribute of God. Last week, we talked about truth that sets us free, and not that that happens instantly, but that gradually we become more and more shaped by uh, the truth. And where we're going to wrap up today is we're going to be talking about uh, truth and culture, and specifically truth and something that's called cancel culture. And here's what I want to say. If you don't know what that phrase means, cancel culture, I'll explain it here just shortly. Um, But I think this morning, and and I'm glad that I've been able to spend several years with you guys, I think this morning uh, might have or present the opportunity to be frustrated with the way that culture is right now. Um, Does anyone feel like we're just nailing it culturally across the world, like everything's good and perfect and how God designed it, right? No. And so as I talk this morning, I'm going to attempt to present a biblical and gospel-centered worldview on our current cultural moment, and I'm going to talk about some things, and so I guess it's a trigger warning, Um, but what I want us to do is I don't if we walk out of here riled up because culture is not going our way, then I did not do my role correctly, and I don't think we are being faithful to God's word in that. The goal is that we would walk out understanding where we're at, but with a greater perspective and a focus on, on God and, and what he has for us and his mission. So I want to ask this morning that if you feel any kind of anger well up about where we're at in culture, don't let the enemy distract you. Don't just get riled up. We want to have a, a deeper heart. And so, right, the 11th commandment, thou shall not be offended. Uh, that's, that's not real, by the way. I just made that up. But um, Let's, let's lean into that this morning and uh, just see what God can do. And so our ultimate goal is to address the question how we respond in our current cultural moment. Uh, from a big picture perspective, it's, it's no uh, doubt, right, that culture has shifted tremendously in the last even decade, right? I think about, uh, I started preaching about a, a little bit over a decade ago, and there were things I could say in my preaching a decade ago, that now I would end up on like the news, you know, like this pastor said, what, you know, and everyone's sharing it on Facebook and I'm not allowed to go out in public anymore. Culture shifted a lot. Everyone has different opinions. Uh, No one's living under so much of a united moral umbrella, right? Even if not everyone in culture has historically been Christians, at least in in our country, there was like a Christian value set at the very least, right? And an idea around a family structure. And a lot of that is evaporating. I was in San Diego just a few weeks ago. Uh, My wife was out of town and one of my best friends, he's a pastor, uh, his wife was out of town and he lives in San Diego. And he said, hey, do you want to come out to San Diego for the week and spend time with me? I was like, Yes, San Diego, it's awesome. So I go out there 
and uh, he's working one of the days, so I decide uh, to go for a walk on the beach. And I'm doing a walk on the beach, and it's a long walk, like several miles walking down the beach in San Diego. It's like amazing. I'm like watching the waves crash. I'm like reflecting. I'm praying. I'm thanking God for his creation. And I get to the end of the beach, and I'm, I'm kind of looking at some of the marine life, and I'm just having a great time. And then this thing happens to me, and, and this, this thing tends to happen to me, and some of you have this attribute as well. Uh, people just come up and talk to me that I don't know. Does anyone, does anyone else have that weird gene? And, and I'm not saying like my friends in the, in the church building. I'm saying you're out in public, and something about you sends a warning flag off to other people, and they're like, I should go talk to that person. I don't care what they're doing. I don't care if I'm derailing their day. I'm going to go talk to them. For a long time, I have that gene everywhere I go. And now I've been at this for a while, so I can sense it. I'm like looking at some of the marine life. (laughs) It's kind of creepy. There's a guy like 10 feet away just staring at me. I'm like, okay, here we go. So he comes up. He's like, do you have the time? In my mind, I'm like, it's 2021. We all have the time, buddy. We could look up. (sighs) And so he's like, I give him the time. And he's like, you walking back that way? Now, remember, I'm on like a three-mile walk. Yeah, I'll join you for a bit. Okay, so I try my first parachute. Great parachute for me to get out of conversations is I just tell people I'm a pastor, and that usually shuts it down right away. (laughs) What do you do? What's your line of work? I'm a pastor. Okay, goodbye. You know, I say that to him, and he's like, really? (laughs) He's interested. Darn it. (laughs) I played this all wrong. And we, we take a walk on the beach, me and this guy, his name's Gene, he's in his 50s, and we walk on the beach like holding our flip-flops like it's, you know, we're long-lost best friends. And I'm telling him about my life, and he's telling me about his life, and we come from two totally different worlds. He grew up in what we had understand to be a, a pretty uh, consistent culture with a nuclear family, and he started a family, and that family fell apart, and he could not comprehend how anyone would want our old structure. He saw it as a failure that you would have a family or values, and I, I'm just trying to like listen, and, and, and I felt it right away, like, who, who do you think you are, man? Like, what, what are you thinking right now? And he was, almost, he was almost so pompous, and I'm not trying to knock this guy, but like, he's like, so, so you're staying with your buddy and your wives are both out of town? Like, you guys want to go party? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, m- remember the pastor part of that? You know, like, it just could not compute for him. And so we walked probably about an hour across the beach, and we're just talking, and I'm just trying to listen. And he was such an illustration to me, and I'm like praying for this guy now, He's such an illustration to me of how our culture's departed, right? Like, like he had a family, he's now divorced, he, he, he has kids, they are estranged, he's all about getting as much as he can from life and getting his own and whatever's in it for him. And as I'm listening to him, I'm, uh, my anger actually feels more like heartbreak for where our culture is at. And, and maybe you can connect a little bit and you feel that pain too very closely to you and your families or in your work environments of like, man, what's going on in culture right now? And, and what does it look like uh, for us? And so here's, here's ultimately where we want to center our, our time. We want the way of Jesus over the way of culture. 
We want the way of Jesus over the way of culture. Culture is going to continue to change and shift, and if our goal is just to make it a Christian culture, I think we're going to be in trouble. But if we want the way of Jesus over the way of culture and we orient our lives around that, we don't feel like we're fighting culture wars so much. So our roadmap for the next few minutes is we're going to ask this question, what is cancel culture? We're going to ask, what's the Bible say about it? And then we're going to ask, how do we respond? What is cancel culture? If you guys would humor me in this, it'll just help me understand where we're at. Who's heard the phrase cancel culture before? This is really helpful for me. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm going to give us kind of a, a united definition we can go on. You might have heard cancel culture called outrage culture, uh, overly sensitive people, uh, being PC or politically correct. Uh, you might have heard it called culture wars, which I've said a couple times already. Um, and you, you, know, you might have heard it called exile or you're out. We, these are all interchangeable. Here's a definition of cancel culture that we're going to use. Cancel culture or call-out culture is a modern form of ostracism. So that'd be an exile, an exiting from the social group. So cancel culture is this exiling in which someone, a person, or something, a tradition, a value, a landmark, uh, a long-held staple of culture, so someone or something is thrust out of social or professional circles, whether that's online, on social media, or in person. Okay, so if you felt yourself triggered by that definition, you know, back to point one, like, okay. <laughs> That's what we're going to kind of talk about a bit, though. That's part of the culture that we live in. I'll give some uh, kind of broad strokes examples for you. We've seen celebrities be canceled. Maybe they said something about uh, politics, they have a viewpoint that was unpopular, and then all of a sudden, we're not going to watch their movies anymore. <laughs> we're not going to listen to their music anymore. They're out of our culture. They did this thing, and whether it's actually wrong or it's actually right, it does not matter. It's against my truth. So they're out. We've seen landmarks that represent things that are unpopular in culture be torn down. We've seen staples and traditions that were part of our education systems, our work systems, our holidays uh, be questioned in culture if they're appropriate. We've seen politicians asked to leave office for something they maybe did 20 or 30 years prior. We have seen people who have committed abuses, abuses for a long time be asked to leave as those things came to light and people bravely shared about them and they were canceled. We've seen churches have to navigate this type of culture. Pastors who perhaps preached in a different uh, time or era and those things were brought up and they were exiled or pastors uh, and churches who had streaks of abuses of power that came to light and they were canceled. On a more personal level, maybe you've worked with someone or you know someone who voiced an unpopular opinion at work, and it maybe was their right to do that, but it wasn't in vogue to do that, and so they were canceled. You have someone who's kicked out of the, the family for their thoughts. The ultimate result is, you know, we don't watch their stuff anymore, we recall them from office, we fire them, they're out of our friendship group, they're out of uh, our work. And it's a lot, right? And, and I don't know about you, like, just on a nuts and bolts human scale, like, I feel that weight a little bit of, like, man, if everything I'd ever done was broadcast, I'm sure someone could find something to cancel me for. Is that fair? 
You know like your, your, your old friends, maybe your friends you, you grew up with, and you love being around them, but you also know you need to be careful who is part of your new friend group versus your old friend group, because your old friends are going to bring up all the junk you used to do. Oh man, have you heard about Derek? You know, we used to call him d You know, like, hey, don't bring up my high school nickname. My best man in my wedding, he took my, his best man speech, and at our 300-person wedding, he got on the microphone and shared every girl I had ever introduced him to before my wife. Like, bro, you cannot broadcast these things. You know, part of the challenge with this cancel culture that we're living in is anything you've ever done before can be broadcast. Now, here's a couple things that I'll point out, and then we're going to get into God's Word. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to build a, a view for us so we can approach God's Word with full context. Here's a couple things I'll point out. I want to encourage you with this. First off, cancel culture is not new. It's actually not new. The phrasing, the branding, the outrage is new, but humans have been exiling each other forever. I'm a big fan of history. I'll take you back to the first time I can remember cancel culture. It was 2003. The nation of France was refusing to help America in the coalition forces, and so there was a large movement, I'm curious who remembers this, to rename French fries Freedom Fries. We canceled French fries. We're Americans for Pete's sake. We love those little fried potatoes. I remember my mom saying, hey, we don't call them French fries anymore. We call them freedom fries now. You know, they changed some of the menus and all that. And what we were doing, we were canceling. I'm reading a great biography on Winston Churchill right now. He's the most well-known to be the prime minister of the United Kingdom during World War II. When he was in charge of the British Navy, though, he was canceled. He made a series of political missteps and blunders, and through the papers, he was canceled. He was kicked out of office. Abraham Lincoln, a large attempt to cancel him, not over issues of civil rights or slavery, but because of his uh, seeming apparent to, to tear apart the Union. You go back to ancient times, tribes were canceling each other. You're being canceled out of the tribe if you did not meet the custom of the time. Cancel culture is not new. What is new is that everyone now can be a reporter because all of us carry these things around and we dictate everything that we're doing all the time and everything can be published online and everything can be recorded and everything can be shared all the time. So we're facing a new level of scrutiny. Second, cancel culture has done good things and it's done bad things. It has exposed dark sin that has gone unaddressed for a long time. Systemic abuses of women, of children, of systems, of economies have been exposed. It's also done bad things by stunting our speech and our freedom of conversation. It seems like everywhere we're looking right now, everyone's yelling at each other. Everyone's waiting for the other person to finish talking so they can start screaming. Our news is a mess. Our culture is divided. We seem more divided than ever, and we want a Christian perspective. So what's the Bible say about cancel culture? That's our second question we're going to ask. What's the Bible say about cancel culture? This shouldn't be shocking to you. Jesus doesn't specifically use the phrase cancel culture. <laughs> okay? There's not like a part in Matthew where he says, now, when you guys get on Twitter in 2,000 years, right? 
Hey, when, when the Romans come and ask who your favorite Colosseum fighter is, I want you to point out what this guy's doing. Jesus doesn't talk specifically about cancel culture. But Jesus does say a lot about culture. And by looking at who the person of Jesus is, ultimately, we can arrive at a place where we have a more fully shaped perspective. And, and ultimately, we said last week that Jesus is God with skin on, so we get a, an insight into the nature of God's heart. So what's the Bible say? Well, I want to point something out. Jesus canceled others. <laughs> Jesus canceled others. Didn't think you'd hear that one today. You might be familiar with this passage. I'll read it to you. It's in Matthew chapter 10, and Jesus is giving uh, instructions to his followers to go out and evangelize. And he just says in verse 14 and 15, if anyone will not welcome you, this is his disciples, or listen to your words, <clears throat> Leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Right? You almost see him throwing up the uh, America's Got Talent X right there. Nope. Not that town. Truly, I tell you, this is, this is a, a rough moment here. It's going to be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah. If you need a history lesson, in the Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah were vaporized by fire. <laughs> Jesus says it's actually going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. He says you, you actually don't need it. Now, on the flip side, and if you'll use this turn of phrase with me since it's what we're talking about, Jesus was also canceled. Right? Because Jesus has a platform that's growing, right? Jesus establishes his ministry when he's 30 years old, and he starts preaching, healing, restoring, renewing families or finding new life. People who are far from God are being drawn in closer. Jesus has done nothing but good. And he enters Jerusalem, and people say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. All praise be to God. And then unrighteous, wicked people in the culture in the culture, come up with a list of mock laws broken by Jesus. The whole thing is a joke trial. And the same people who are chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, as Jesus enters, are the same people who just a few days later are saying, we want Barabbas. Give us the insurrectionist. Give us the rebel Barabbas, not Jesus. And Jesus is ultimately put on a cross. Culture has rebelled against him. Jesus is canceled. We are living in 2021 and experiencing it in real time, but culture has always been fickle. People are fickle. Now, here's the good news. Jesus is not focused on cultural dominance. Jesus is not focused on cultural dominance, and if you're taking notes, I know it's not up on the screen, but it could be a good reminder Jesus does not enter the world attempting to win a popularity contest. Here's what it says in John chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. This is actually a giant theological point here. Jesus is saying it's not of this world. When Jesus enters into the world, he enters to bring heaven to earth. He enters to bring a heavenly kingdom to earthly chaos. 
Jesus enters to usher in the kingdom of heaven, which as we've talked about is full of grace and truth. Jesus is in complete control. Look what he says there. If I had wanted this to go differently, I'm God. Snap. He says, if I had wanted it to go a different way, but my kingdom's not of this world. Jesus isn't interested in winning the culture wars. If Jesus was, I can tell you, he probably would have chosen not to be born in a barn (laughs) in poverty and work as a carpenter for 30 years. If Jesus wanted an earthly kingdom where everyone agreed with him, he probably would have been born as Caesar. He would have been in complete control from the start. Jesus chooses to enter this way. And what we ultimately believe is that as disciples of Jesus, we're called to follow in the way of Jesus. So what we believe is that our first loyalty, our first loyalty as Jesus followers is to the kingdom of heaven that we are citizens of the kingdom of God and that we actually operate as ambassadors to earth. And what does an ambassador do? An ambassador goes to another country where they live under those customs and those cultures and they represent the kingdom that they came from. Sounds a lot like being a Jesus follower (laughs) in our current cultural moment, right? gosh, I feel like everyone around me has a different way of living. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's because our goal is not for everyone to think and act like us. It's to be ambassadors of the good news of Jesus. And what this means very practically, and this is a, it's hard. We do not need to stress so much about this insane culture we live in. And I know that's hard to hear, but we do not need to be surprised as culture departs from long-held truths. Jesus promises that there are going to be hardships for believers. In the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Jesus actually says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. You're going to inherit the kingdom of God. It's almost like the Bible knows what it's talking about, right? So we're not trying to fight the battle of culture wars because neither was Jesus. Can we influence culture? Can we be positive in that? Yes, but our goal is to do the right and God-honoring thing regardless of what culture says. And if I could, I'm going to speculate for a second, so I'm stepping away from from being in God's word. I'm going to speculate for a second, but I think it's safe to say that as we look at culture right now and people are losing their minds, trying to tear everything down, I think what's happening is we're watching people operate out of fear. Fear of the unknown, fear because we've kicked God out of our lives, and out of that fear, we try to create order, but because we're humans and we're broken, we create chaos. And so a lot of this, we've got to cancel this, we've got to make this okay, you're not allowed to say this, you can't do that anymore, we're not going to celebrate this holiday, we're not going to honor this tradition anymore. All that stuff is people operating out of fear because they have a savior-sized gap in their soul. And so instead of us as Christians going, yeah, you're so scared, <laughs> we want to operate as ambassadors. Here's what the Bible also says. Jesus tells us what he wants us to focus on. 
Jesus actually tells us what he wants us to focus on. You're going to be familiar with this. I've heard this preached. I've preached this a lot. You know this. I want you to hear it again. It's Matthew chapter 28. It's the Great Commission, verse 18 and 20. Jesus tells us, praise God, he tells us what we need to focus on. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. See, there's that ambassador piece. Teach people to fall my way. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus gives a clear mission to Jesus' followers. It's not to be outraged. It's not to be angry. It's to spread the good news of the gospel. So if this, if this frustrates you, I'm trying to say it with love, but our current cultural battle is actually small potatoes. It's a distraction from the mission that God has us on. And I'm speaking for myself too. I've had nights hijacked because I'm looking at some dumb news story on my phone. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe this celebrity said that 35 years ago on the set of, you know, ALF. Like, <laughs> who cares? I want to be on mission for the gospel and operate as an ambassador because that's what God has for me. I don't want to be brought down low by the pointless, trivial stuff going on in culture. I want to focus on loving people as Jesus loves them. Am I saying that we should not be involved in culture, that we should not have opinions on issues, that we shouldn't have a stance? I'm not saying any of those things. Am I saying, all right, so after this, in the parking lot, we're burning all our DVDs. <laughs> I'm not saying that either. I'm saying we want to have a right and good perspective on culture. <clears throat> so, third question that we'll ask here. How do we respond to this cultural moment? You guys see our roadmap here? We're talking about where culture's at, we're trying to get some truths from Jesus, and then we're just going to ask, how do we respond as Jesus' followers in this cultural moment? I want to encourage you again, if you're in this room and you're a Jesus follower, every Christian, since the inception of our faith, has had a unique cultural challenge to face. Does that make sense? In 2021, we're not the first Christians facing something difficult. In ancient Rome, if you were a Jesus follower, we would have assembled as this church, and we would have hoped that as we exited, Roman centurions did not pick us off to go fight in the Colosseum this afternoon in an ancient form of Sunday night football. Now, you, you look like you're in good shape. You ever fought a lion before? You only do it once. That was a cultural challenge in the ancient world. You fast forward to the 1500s, the reformation of the church, where the church is splitting into multiple, multiple branches. There were decisions that had to be made. That was a cultural challenge. Do you stay with tradition? Do you stay with this new thing God's doing? That was a unique cultural challenge for Christians. You fast forward to the American War of Independence. Bible says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. I'm supposed to be loyal, but also liberty and freedom. Which side do I go? Unique cultural challenge the Civil War, the World Wars. 
we're just facing our new cultural challenge. And we stand on the shoulders of giants in the faith. And we owe it to the history of our faith and the goodness of our God to respond well. So, a few practical things. We respond in this cultural moment because we are slow to speak. We want to be slow to speak. The book of James, which I'm not sure if I'm allowed to have favorites in the Bible, but it probably is my favorite. In James 1, it says, my dear brothers and sisters, look at brothers and sisters. If you're reading that, it means uh, followers in the faith. So if you're a Jesus follower, that's for you. My, my dear brothers and sisters at Verde Valley, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Man, aren't we just nailing that right now? <laughs> right, most of it, for most of us, it actually sounds like, you know, my dear brothers and sisters, everyone should be quick to anger, you know, slow to listen, right? Quick to speak. Human anger will produce your own righteousness and self-worth. Everyone is so loud right now. Everyone's waiting for the other person to finish talking so they can speak, and that's the best that we're getting in our, our current cultural dialogue. We will be unique if we try to listen and seek to understand before being understood. And it is a discipline and it's a practice. And even that guy I walked with on the beach in San Diego, <laughs> I so desperately wanted to just slap him in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Go all, you know, Old Testament in that moment. But no, maybe, maybe there's just a seed scattered in that moment for him. I've been getting my hair cut by the same barber for the last six years. His name's Royce, and he is a devout atheist. And he says the craziest stuff while he's cutting my hair, and I don't challenge him because he has a knife in his hand, essentially, right? But I'm just trying, I'm not perfect. I'm just trying to be slow to speak. He has a lot of hurt from the church in his background. He has a lot of opinions politically. He has a lot of stuff in culture I completely disagree with, and I just want to listen to him. And so it's been like a six-year journey. I invited him to our wedding. My wife thought I was insane. You invited our barber to your wedding? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he'd hear something. God would get a hold of his heart. She's like, oh my gosh. Just one year ago, five years and a half decade in, he finally like looked at me and he grabbed my shoulder and he said, most Christians are pretty terrible. He said something worse than that. He said, yeah, I think you're all right though. <laughs> you do? Praise God. Amen, you know? Okay, I want to be slow to speak. I want us to be slow to speak in this cultural moment. We don't need to go out and yell and scream about all of our opinions. We're slow to speak and we share out of the overflow of Jesus. Second, we practice the golden rule. We practice the golden rule. You know this rule. Jesus gives it to us. It comes out of Luke 6.31. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It's funny how we all know it, and it's pretty easy to forget it. Notice in the golden rule, there's not a promise that if you treat others how you want to be treated, they'll do the same to you. <laughs> That's not there, but it's still something that Jesus asks us to do. Jesus says it in many different places in different ways. He says, if a soldier asks you to carry his pack one mile, I'm actually going to say carry it two miles. If you get hit, turn the other cheek. Right now, 
in this moment, what would it look like as everyone is closing their doors and locking and entrenching if we actually were inclusive? We invited people into our house or into our homes or when someone posted something online that just infuriated us, we asked some questions. We said, hey, I love you even though we're on different planets. We want to practice the golden rule. And I think if we want to see positive change for the gospel, like, like we, we do it as Jesus did it. Jesus didn't raise up an army in the traditional sense, I should say. Jesus raised up people who were just trying to treat and do gospel work. And here's the last one, and, and then I'm done. In our current cultural moment, we respond because we live with anticipation. We live with anticipation. I'll read you another well-known verse. For God so loved the world, this is John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. God loves this creation. He sends Jesus, his son, to earth to rescue and redeem the world, not to condemn it. And you see that phrase there, that we shall not perish but have eternal life. We live with anticipation because we know it's not about getting our way here on earth in our brief lifespan. We look forward to the day and the truth that we will spend eternity with Jesus. And when I feel discouraged and at the end of the day of pastoring people and listening and trying to see and seeing all the chaos in our culture, there are days where I lay in bed and I just, I really do just say, I can't wait for God to set all things right. And I'm not, I'm not angry about it, I just, I'm living with anticipation that we live in a fallen, broken world with disease and hypocrisy and lying and culture wars and political disputes and chaos and disorder. And one day, we will have eternal life. And so, while we're on earth, we want to leave it all on the field, not battling to have our way, but battling to be ambassadors of Jesus and seeing what God does in our current breath and in our current moment to reach a broken and fallen world. We want to live with anticipation. And if all this sounds difficult, it should. Because that's the life of a Jesus follower. It's not a life of ease. It's a life of challenge. But it's a worthwhile journey. And Jesus followers, we can shock the world if we will operate out of this mind, mindset and perspective. We can have some greater perspective, joy, and impact. Let me pray. God, we love you. I pray, Lord, I know that everyone in this room, we have our own flavor of frustration with this current moment. God, help us to see the mission you've given us, the Great Commission. God, help us to not be easily offended. Help us to see that we're not supposed to win the culture wars, but we're supposed to love people in and through it. God, help us to act with kindness to see moments where we can reach out to others. And ultimately, Lord, thank you for the gift of Jesus. When all else fails and all of our little attempts at navigating these crazy times fall to the wayside, help us live with anticipation that one day we'll be with you. You sent Jesus. You've got this under control. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always a privilege to be here. Thank you for listening so graciously to a, a challenging topic. To my right, your left, thank you. That's really kind. Thank you.
My right, your left, there's prayer. We'll see you soon. Have a great weekend.